Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew. I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. And we are here to review an absolutely stellar 2022 draft class by the New York Jets. From top to bottom, every pick in this class fits a role, fits a need for the team, has a future uh, on the roster. Overall, just an excellent class, top to bottom. We are very excited to get into it. Matt, I'm going to go ahead and toss it to you to start off here. Just give me your overall thoughts on the class, and then we'll start at the top and work our way down pick by pick. Holy hell! What a what an amazing. Yeah, holy draft. hell is right. Yeah, but like even the the two picks at the end that uh, I feel like most people were probably kind of scratching their head about or didn't really un- uh, know who they were. Uh, even those guys have a lot of potential uh, to really be impact players for us. Definitely. Uh, overall, I don't think we could have painted a better draft. I think uh, it, everybody's like fantasy mock drafts leading up to the draft. Uh, probably didn't even come close to being as good as the actual draft, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and that's kind of that sentiment kind of uh, spread uh, amongst the league uh, that we really nailed it. We really hit a home run here uh, with this draft. Uh, and if these guys all pan out uh, like most people think that they should or could, uh, then this class can go down as one of those defining moments. Uh, the defining classes that really propels us to the next level. Uh, and we really needed that. That's what JD needed from this year's class is to really put us over the top or not really over the top, but to really get us in contention. Uh, we see how all the teams in the rest in the league are really building up talent. And the only way to fight that fire is with fire of our own. Um, so yeah, we really improved uh, across the board. Uh, defense and offense. Um, and uh, I, I, I'd, I'd love to hear what you think. 
Yeah, I completely and totally agree. You said something in particular that I really want to highlight on when you said this could be a foundational draft. And I think you're a thousand percent right with that. I think you have the 2021 class gave you really important pieces. Hopefully you got your quarterback, which is always the biggest important piece. Mm -hmm. And you got a really, really good piece on the offensive line for years to come. That's going to be a mainstay. Obviously, Elijah Moore is great. We love him. We love Michael Carter, um, even though we now know he's going to have some competition in that backfield uh, mm-hmm. and probably have some carries stolen from him in very quick order. But you got some good pieces last year. You got some really critical pieces last year. This is the class that could take you over the top. This is the class that could be you could have three pro bowlers out of your first three picks. And yeah. if that Easily. happens, the rest of it is gravy. Like getting three pro bowlers in a draft is a fantastic class for any team. The Jets might have done that with their three first round picks in a very, very quick order and have other guys on the roster that can very well uh, in this draft class that could very well reach that ceiling as well. I'm very, very excited overall. I will say there were a handful of picks, specifically the first one, which I think this will be a good transition to get into um, Mm -hmm. that were unexpected. But just because they were unexpected picks does not mean they are bad at all. That's going to take me to the fourth overall pick, round one. Sauce Gardner, the cornerback from Cincinnati. Swaggy Sauce Gardner, as Joe Douglas called him on the draft call. Uh, six foot three, 190 pounds, has 33 and a half inch arms, which is in the 97th percentile for cornerbacks. Ran a 4-4-140 at the combine. Uh, explosive, long, wiry, twitchy as hell for his size. Just an all-around ball hawk in the secondary and really just completing the cornerback makeover, as it seems, for the Jets this season. Um, Like I said, unexpected. We both didn't think the Jets would value the position that high. We all thought Robert Sala and Joe Douglas would be a lot more trenches-oriented than taking a corner fourth overall. But when it happened, we understood it. And it seems like he was at least, if not... The first, he was within the top three of the overall players on their board. The Jets seem very happy with it. Overall, again, not what I expected, but I am very excited for Sauce Gardner in New York. Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely not what we expected. I I remember we had one episode where I was just playing around with the idea, and I just, I just wanted you to shoot down every angle about why, we, <laughs> why we should take Sauce Gardner, and we did anyways. <laughs> and the more I think about it, Uh, The only thing we really didn't take into account is that maybe they just don't like Hall that much uh, as that that starting corner. They or maybe they like him, but they don't like him enough to say we can't get uh, the best thing that we uh, the best guy we can get. Uh, Because we've mentioned before that these kinds of defenses need studs at every single level. They do. Uh, we we need to get a solid his Sherman, and he doesn't really have that. Uh, as good as Hall is, I don't think that's his ceiling. I think his ceiling is a lot lower. Um, so going out and getting the guy they love at cornerback to be that mainstay, to be that stud, and uh, for the cornerbacks uh, was probably a bigger need than any of us could really imagine. Uh, and the fact that they took him fourth overall. Uh, it was definitely a little surprising. Uh, I, I'm sure we thought that even if they did address cornerback, that they probably would have uh, done it a little later and maybe tried to teach him up. Uh, but maybe that's more of a linebacker thing than it is a cornerback thing. Maybe he isn't that, uh, afraid to really go after that premium talent. Um, and hey, if that's what they saw in Sauce, then hell yeah, go for it. Uh, I don't disagree. I, I think Sauce is an incredible player. 
I think he offers a lot, uh, especially in press man. Um, but I also think that he does uh, have the ability to to thrive uh, in his own heavy uh, defense as well. I think he's very uh, scheme fluid. Uh, but yeah, it, it, will he be? Would he would he be more present in a man heavy press man heavy defense? Yeah, but I think he's definitely got what it takes uh, to take whatever we throw at him. Yeah, I think so too. And honestly, I think this is a combination of things that work where part of it is I think they are a little down on Bryce Hall because I mentioned that during our corner episode where I was, I think it was the last episode we did before the draft. I said, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Brandon Eccles wins the starting job. Mm -hmm. Well, not anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very clearly, they were just as much concerned with Brandon Eccles as they were with Bryce Hall. And as much as that's a part of it, quite honestly, I think the bigger part of this is they just love Sauce Gardner. I think they just valued him and rated him incredibly highly, had him very high on their boards. And Robert Sala saw the option to add a true lockdown duo in his secondary that could really maybe take some pressure off the safeties or take some pressure off the linebackers, where if those are the only guys they have to focus on, the linebackers can really key on on what they're doing and the corners can be kind of trusted by themselves. Well, maybe you can shift the safety help more towards the linebackers and you can have Mm -hmm. Jordan Whitehead take on some of those coverage responsibilities in the box and know your corners are going to be deep and they're going to handle things just fine. On top of that, everything I hear from Robert Sala himself is that, Yes, we're a zone team. Yes, we're a zone team. We do that on early downs. But when it's third down and it's crunch time, we play man. Yep. They needed someone to win on third down. They needed someone to lock up opposing targets, number one on third down. And for a long time last year, I said, they're not traveling their corners. They're putting Brandon Eccles in terrible situations and he's getting picked on. Maybe they didn't have enough trust in Bryce Hall to let him travel like that. Maybe they were worried that having him would just be just as bad in any situation. And now they have a guy in Sauce Gardner that is a matchup eraser that I think the only guys you're really worried about him with are the really smaller, shifty, incredibly fast, agile receivers like a Garrett Wilson, who he's going to be now practicing against Mm -hmm. every day and like an Elijah Moore, who he's going to be practicing against every day. So Sauce Gardner is about to get a ton of reps working on the area that I think he's weakest in. And I also don't think he's that weak. This isn't like, this isn't like, oh, he's going to get routed by any small shifty receiver he goes up against. He's plenty twitchy for his size. And he's got four, four, one speed with 97th percentile length. He's fine, but he could be even better going up against these guys in practice and honing his technique and getting even twitchier. I love the fit. I love the, the mentality of it. And for so long, quite honestly, this was a thing where we said for the entire time, I want to be very clear. We're not trying to backtrack and say, we think this is a good pick now because it happened. We always said sauce Gardner was a fantastic player. We always said he fits the scheme perfectly. He'd be fine. He can play either side. He's fine in zone, all of that. We just didn't expect it to happen. But the fact that it did happen, I think it does make a lot of sense in a vacuum. And I'm really excited to see him in New York. I think the only worry I have, quite honestly, is when you take a corner fourth overall, the expectations are through the roof. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so he is going to have a ton of pressure placed on his shoulders, especially within the New York media, to be a productive player. And by what that I mean is get interceptions. That's what you draft a corner that high for. You don't draft a corner that high to just 
stack up PBU, PBUs. If the Jets cared about stacking up PBUs, they'd still be starting Bryce Hall. It's true. Uh, you gotta, yeah. you gotta get the ball. And so I am really hoping that being able to play a little more zone on early downs, we're going to see some opportunities for him to jump some routes and get some interceptions. I really like the fit. I really like it overall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. We, we, we need that ball. Huh? Uh, and yeah, there's, it is going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Uh, well, at the same time, I think he can handle it. This guy has a I lot think of so too. You, oh, you absolutely. saw that, that, yeah. that sauce chain, right? Uh, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that 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 kind of signifies the kind of play we're going to get. The guy that's so confident in himself, he'll wear a chain with a sauce bottle. Uh, and you don't know what's in that bottle, but he does. <laughs> According to that interview with, uh, or not interview, with Woody Johnson. With yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I like the pick a lot. Uh, and it, it really gets me thinking about what their big board looked like. Uh, because then the next pick was Garrett Wilson. Uh, and all of this was before who we thought we would be picking at, at just, just save it. Just save it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so yeah, it, the, to think that it was probably uh, Sauce and Wilson probably near the very top uh, of their big board. Yeah, it most certainly was. Um, I had heard from Robert Sala in a press conference. You had actually, I think, sent this clip to me um, where it was. Robert Sala was saying if the Falcons took Garrett Wilson instead of Drake London, they would have taken a certain defensive end at 10 and not a receiver, uh, someone that eventually fell to them later in the draft. But like I said, we'll get there. That leaves us to believe that Garrett Wilson was, if not the top receiver, had to be the top receiver on their board. And this was the this was their number one rated guy. This was the guy they were targeting all along. This was their backup plan for the 10th pick since they offered it for Debo Samuel, but it didn't really go anywhere. This was the guy they had planned to add for Zach Wilson with that 10th pick. I think the Jets had become pretty resolved to the idea of using that 10th pick on a receiver, whether it be trading for somebody or drafting somebody. Didn't seem like the trades were going to be facilitated. So they turned to the draft and they add Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. And this guy is electric as hell. And he's going to be a heck of a lot of fun for this defense. Fits the profile that we had been talking about for so long as someone who brings an element of speed and explosion and threatening uh, presence to the defense when we had had our war room. And we had drafted Jamison Williams. The reason we took him over Alave was because of the explosion and because of the... Um, uh, potential as a vertical threat. Garrett Wilson brings that sort of potential, even if it may not be the exact same raw speed, it definitely shows up in his tackle breaking and his ability to win over the middle run yards after catch and all of that six foot tall, 183 pounds, ran a four, three, eight 40 at the combine with a one, four, nine, 10 yard split and a 36 inch vertical. So the guy is athletic. He plays bigger than his size. His body control is great. He can go up and get the ball in the air. No problem. Uh, his hands are really strong. His routes are really crisp and agile. He's explosive off the line. Um, solid at breaking tackles you can have him win in space and this is like i said at the top another guy to pair with elijah moore that gives you two speed freaks that you can match up when the jet's going to get into their 12 personnel sets and you're going to have probably tyler or cj uzama and potentially new draft pick jeremy ruckert on the field you're going to have garrett wilson and elijah moore as the two receivers and it's going to scare the living hell out of defenses i love this pick I, I do as well. Um, he was my number two wide receiver. Uh, Olave was my was my number one, and I think yours as well. Uh, Correct. I, I, think, I think with the the hill, uh, the attempted hill trade, 
really showed us that that JD and Sala they they wanted speed. Speed was at yep. the top of their list. Like we said, it was uh, all about speed. Exactly. And I think uh they had their choice of three very fast wide receivers toward the uh, the top of the draft with Alave, uh with Wilson and with Williams. So then it just came down to what else can they do? Uh I think that Williams is a fine player. Uh, I think what he brings to the table uh, is very dangerous. Uh, even if he's not trying to take the top off of defense, uh, defense has to account for that. Uh, so that opens up a lot from uh, underneath. Uh, but at the same time, I think that uh, Wilson and Olave, they're still extremely fast. Uh, but at the same time, they do so much more with their ability as route runners. Uh, with their ability to go up and get the ball. Right now, uh, at least. Jameson right has potential to get really good in his route running, but he's not as crisp or fluid as a lot of Aaron Wilson right now. Right now, yes. I, I completely agree. Uh, and I think Olave uh, had one of the, the better uh, contested catch uh, rates uh, among these top wide receivers other than London. Uh, but London didn't have the speed, and I think that was a crucial aspect uh, to how they maybe rank these wide receivers. Uh, and even though Olave is probably one of the top uh, contested catch guys, his contested catches aren't quite like Wilson's. Wilson's no. contested catches, these are incredible jump balls. Uh, he's able to just go over uh, defensive backs, catch it behind yeah. their backs, uh, and he has the body control and sideline awareness uh, to get down in bounds. Uh, He's got so much that I think will help Zach Wilson, uh, a guy that he can just throw it up to. And you can trust that Wilson will come down with it more often than not. Uh, he does have some some concentration uh, drops, uh, maybe ones that are, are probably a lot easier than some of the crazy catches he makes. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he offers so much, and he's still extremely reliable. Um, and with the route running to boot. Uh, I think it's just way too much to to pass on. Uh, so whether it was Alave or him, I would have been happy either way. Uh, I, I'm 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 very happy with this pick, though. Yeah, me as well. Uh, like you were saying, with the three options that they had in Jamison Williams and then the Ohio State pair of Garrett Wilson and Chris Alave, um, I was talking with this actually with Lamont Jordan over on Believe in the Jets. Um, we were doing our first round recap um, the other day, and one of the things that he had said that really stuck out to me that makes a lot of sense when you look at it from this angle. Chris Olave was my wide receiver one. When I'm looking at my overall rankings, I don't rank just for the Jets. I rank period. I try and factor in scheme as much as I can, but I try and be scheme agnostic to my rankings and rank players how I see fit overall to the NFL. But for the Jets in particular, Garrett Wilson made the most sense. And Garrett Wilson made the most sense for the Jets because he can win three ways. Chris Olave is really good as a route runner. He's great at creating separation, winning deep, using his speed and agility, all of that. He can make contested catches, but it's more about making catches with guys covering him and in tight windows than it is about going up and mossing people. He can do that a little bit. I think he's a little, little underrated in that aspect, but he's not quite to Garrett Wilson's level. And he's definitely not to Garrett Wilson's level on a tackle-breaking ability and ability mm -hmm. to create for himself in space. If you give Olave a, a runway with the ball in his hands, he's got the speed to take advantage of it. But he's not necessarily the guy that's really shifty, creative, juke, 
spins, run through tackles, anything like that. Garrett Wilson's got him beaten that aspect. You look at Jamison Williams, similar idea. Deep speed, definitely there. Threatening vertical, no problem. Can win deep, absolutely. We think he's a good route runner. Definitely solid. Room to grow and get better, but not quite to the level of Wilson or Alave. And he can make some plays with the ball in his hands as well, but it's definitely more about raw speed with him. And while I do think he is better than Alave at breaking tackles and creating for himself, I also don't think he's quite to Garrett Wilson's level. Then you look at Garrett Wilson, and he is above average, at least in all three areas where he is 4.38 speed vertical uh, separation, no problem. He will threaten you deep. He has some serious wheels. Has go up and get it ability more so than just fighting through coverage to make a catch. Will jump over someone, like you said. Plays much bigger than his six foot flat, 5.11 and three quarters, whatever his height is. He, he plays like he's 6'2". He plays like he is a guy that you can win on the boundary and trust to go up and adjust to the ball. He's got that in spades. And then over the middle, underneath ball in his hands creating for himself fantastic um proved me wrong because i remember when we were doing our receiver breakdowns i'd said in my head i felt like garrett wilson was better last year and then you pulled the numbers up right in front of me and it turns out he broke like three times more tackles the year after than he did the year before so uh, that made me go back and really watch him and he is he is really shifty he has some moves in space he will run through people with some power as well i think from all of that aspect and for what the Jets want in their offense for the sense that they want guys that can win deep, win over the middle, and win with the ball in their hands. Garrett Wilson does all three of those things, and it makes total sense why he was the pick. Yeah, I mean, with pure speed, uh, pure straight line speed, uh, it's easy to just outrun people. Uh, So Wilson has that speed to do that as well, but to have that extra level of shiftiness uh, and balance through contact uh, just gives him the edge just a little bit. Yeah, it really does. I mean, he he is not shy of contact at all, whether it's with the ball in the air or with the ball in his hands running. Uh, either way, he is a lot more aggressive and feisty than his frame suggests. And it kind of made me think, I haven't gotten the chance to say this to anybody, but I want you to tell me if I'm crazy with this comparison that I had in my head. He's like the more polished version of Percy Harvin. Hmm. Interesting. Like if you uh, take away the backfield stuff for Percy Harvin and more mm-hmm. of like the, the like straight up ball carrier stuff and just look at them as receivers. I think Garrett Wilson was a better route runner coming out. Percy Harvin was more explosive with the ball in his hands, but it's like yeah. negligible. I don't think you're crazy. Um, I, I, I really want to see how the Jets end up using him uh how for sure and and then from there uh i think we'll get a better sense of how he fits in in history and who he's really going to be compared to uh but yeah i I can definitely see it um i i I definitely uh don't think you're crazy though (laughs) well it would not be the first time i was crazy so i just wanted to make sure on that um that's going to wrap up Garrett Wilson for us and at the time after the pick was made we all thought that this was the end of the Jets first round and that there wasn't going to be anything else that would happen they had their two picks at four and ten they didn't trade down and barring a miracle that was going to be it well by golly if a miracle didn't happen (laughs) because Jermaine Johnson the defensive end from Florida State by some grace of the football gods continued to fall down the draft and ever since about the 15th overall pick happened Robert Sala and Joe Douglas looked at themselves and said, how in the hell is this guy still on the board? We have to do everything in our power to go and get him. 
And they spent the next hour plus on the phones calling every single team in the draft, pick after pick, hoping and praying to find a deal, hoping and praying to make a deal before Jermaine were to get off the board. And somehow, like I said, by some amount of, I guess, months and months of answered prayers by myself, (laughs) Jermaine Johnson was on the board with the 26th overall pick and the Jets agreed to a trade with the Tennessee Titans sending picks 35, 69, and 163 for 26 and 101. And they took Jermaine Johnson at pick 26. And Matt, let me tell you, when this trade happened, and I first got the notification on my phone through Twitter saying the Jets had traded up to the 26th pick, I about put a hole in my roof. <laughs> I, I could not contain myself. I absolutely could not contain myself. This was months and months of a guy that I first watched before the Senior Bowl And the second I turned the tape on with him was absolutely and totally blown away, completely and totally dumbfounded that this was not someone that was being talked about amongst the top of the NFL. This was before he was even viewed as a first round pick, let alone potential at four and 10. And I remember texting you and our friend David Wyatt Hupton being like, guys, go watch Jermaine. You need to watch Jermaine. This guy is exactly what the Jets want. This is exactly their mold. This is the perfect type of guy for them. And it didn't take long for you guys to get on board. No. And we have spent the last handful of months praising this guy and with good reason. And this just feels like quite literally, it feels like a dream come true for them to get, like I said, at the top all in the first round, Sauce Gardner at four, Garrett Wilson at 10 and to steal because that's what this is an absolute robbery to steal Jermaine Johnson at 26th overall, when you give up a three and a five to get him, you had an extra two because you shipped off Sam Darnold to Carolina and that worked out so well. They had to draft a quarterback the next year. (laughs) I can't, I can't praise this enough. This is what you do when you are a smart GM that's aggressive, that has done a good job of filling out needs in other areas. You free yourself up to attack when the opportunity presents itself and Joe Douglas Hats off to you for working the phones and getting this done. Jermaine Johnson could be the absolute steal of this entire draft class. That is not hyperbole whatsoever. There is a very solid chance that with this defense and Robert Salas tutelage, he becomes the best defensive end out of this draft class. Yes, that is not hyperbole. No, I, I, I very much hope so. Yeah, I think it was around January when you, you really came to us with this. With the, before the Senior Bowl this, was the week before. With this unknown guy from Florida State, uh, and I just remember seeing like little bits of him here and there, but not really a, a full picture of what he was capable of. Uh, and yeah, we we very quickly jumped right on board, and we've been riding that train all the way to the draft night. Uh, but even though he was taken at pick twenty six, uh, like we were talking about earlier, with how they would have taken him at ten if uh, Garrett Wilson wasn't there. So they definitely valued him as a top 10 player. Top uh, eight. So, top eight, probably. So that's uh, what they said after the first round. They got yep. three of the top eight players on their board. At worst, Jermaine Johnson was the eighth ranked player on their board. Absolutely. So they got tremendous value. And I believe this is almost identical to the trade that we did in, in our War Room special with, with Tennessee at 26. Uh, it is it is almost identical to almost a team. The, the third round, it's like we gave up 35, 69, and then I think it was a pick in the 140s and got like 26 and 90 back. Yeah. 
So, so it's, yeah. it was it was virtually the same thing. The Jets trade ended up being a little worse off, but not by much. It, it's it's pretty incredible. Uh, I really couldn't be happier. Uh, I I agree with you. He does have the potential to be one of, if not the best edge rusher in this class. Uh, what what he's able to do with that length, with that strength, with that get off. Uh, he's got what it takes. Um, and he's going to actually have a supporting cast around him now. Yeah, uh, he's, he's not going to have to do it all himself. No, with Lawson on the other side, with Q, uh, with Franklin Myers being kicked in on passing downs. Uh, he's going to have a lot of guys around him. And no one's take- getting open because Sauce Gardner and DJ Reader behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of all the edge rushers that I looked at with a fine-tooth comb, when it came to who was double teamed more, who was chipped more, uh, who did they uh, roll out to the opposite side of? It was Thibodeau and it was Johnson. These were the two guys that teams really focused on the most. Um, So with teams not doing that for him now, with guys like Lawson and Q to really pay extra attention to, that's going to really free up Johnson a lot. Uh, and he's no longer just going to be asked to set the edge first uh, before he goes after the quarterback either. He's going to be set free. He's going to be in attack mode all the time, Uh, and I'm very, very interested to seeing how it turns out for him. I I think, yeah, year one, he can have a big impact. Yeah, and most importantly, as we talked about for so long, for so many months with this guy, the ascension with him is what's going to be so great to watch is Jermaine Johnson may get seven or eight sacks as a rookie, but he might get 14 in year two and he might be getting 10 to 15 every year after that. I cannot wait to see how he grows. I cannot wait to see what he adds to his repertoire, his pass rushing and the toolbox of moves that he has and the counters that he has developed are already really strong. There's room for them to get even better. and. You had mentioned it, Matt, attention given by opposing teams, attention given by opposing offenses. By your studies, Jermaine was doubled or chipped or given some amount of extra attention to as much, if not more than anybody else in this draft class. Around 30% of his pass rush snaps. Right. You also have to factor in the, the, uh, the fact that he plays the run and that he was asked to play contain on a lot of snaps early in downs. And he really didn't get the chance to go all out and charge up field and pass rush unless it was third and long. And so that's why you might've seen some numbers taking a little longer for him to get to the quarterback because he had to play run first. And that's just a factor of his scheme that won't have to matter to him as much now with the jets. And most importantly, this is the last thing I want to mention, Matt, you know, there was only one Florida state player drafted this year and it was Jermaine Johnson in the first round. That says a lot. That says a lot. That says a lot about what else he had around him. What other factors were going on? What could offenses pick on? This was, he was basically the only guy teams had to worry about on Florida state's defense period. And he still produced enough to be the ACC defensive player of the year. Conversely, you look at a guy like Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson was the second overall pick in the draft. He had a safety go later in the first round, and he had his other pair at edge rusher go in the second round, who probably would have went in the top 20 if he didn't tear his Achilles in March. So you have the context of what players were asked to do, what they can do, 
what their physical abilities limit them from doing and what their physical abilities have for them in the future. When you look at it from that profile, from that aspect, when you do your job as a scout, Jermaine Johnson is a fantastic prospect for the Jets. This could not have gone better in round one. Yeah, really. And one thing I noticed after we drafted him, that the outcry uh, of praise for him wasn't mm-hmm. really coming from uh, like normal people like you and me. It was coming from players. Uh, pass that rushers. Pass rushers. Uh, these are people that know their craft, and they see the potential that we saw in, in Johnson. There isn't um, a single former player I've seen or heard from that dislikes Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, I don't think there's some kind of grand conspiracy where everybody got together and wanted to hype this guy up. No, they know what they're looking at, and it's something special. Right. And it's things that you also can't quantify with numbers. And this is another important part. Jermaine Johnson is never going to show up on analytics for playing just as hard at the end of the fourth quarter as he does at the end at the start of the game. He's not going to show up in any analytic for being a balls to the wall freak of nature with his hair on fire when his team's down 35 points as opposed to when his team is 0-0 the first play. That doesn't show up in any numbers, but it shows up to other players. It shows up Mm -hmm. to guys who have been on the field and that know what it's like. And that when they see a guy that's a pass rusher that has the uh, stamina and the, the, the wherewithal and the strength and the ability and the agility and all of that to be so fluid and explosive at the end of the games where he's playing, Jermaine said it himself in recent interviews since he got drafted, 60 to 70 snaps a game. And it doesn't slow him down. That is what Robert Sala wants out of every single member of his team, regardless of position. That sort of aggression, tenacity, the never say die attitude. It's all gas, no break for four quarters. Jermaine Johnson is all gas, no break as it gets. We could spend all night gushing about this pick, and I would certainly love to. Mm -hmm. But I do think we have to move on and get into the next uh, bit of the second round. So, Matt, why don't you go ahead and lead us off here? Tell us about the Jets at the top of the second round, making, in my opinion, the most unexpected move of the weekend by far. Uh, So if we thought that three first round picks uh, was fun, we almost had four Mm -hmm. first round picks Uh, to hear that they almost traded up back into the first round uh, to get Brees Hall. Uh, really blew my mind. I, I I don't think any of us saw that coming because we knew that we kind of needed some running back depth. Uh, but I think we were both more than happy with waiting to the fourth or fifth round. Uh, I really least. jump on a guy at like like Ford or uh, or Robinson. Um, but the the fact that they saw something special in Hall uh, really leads me to think that he's going to be our starter because you don't you don't almost trade up into the first round uh, for a guy to sit behind Carter. Uh, I think Hall is definitely going to be our primary back, uh, and Carter's going to be the one kind of spelling him. Uh, Brees is – he's somebody – when I was watching him last year, uh, he definitely caught my eye with his elusiveness, uh, his ability to make something out of nothing. And that's something that I look for most when I start scouting running backs. Who's that guy that gets trapped and he's able to get himself out of a bad situation and make something of it. And Hall is that guy. You very rarely see him getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage because he's always got a escape route. 
he makes these escape routes for him. He is a Houdini. Uh, and him in the open field, too, just making guys miss with ease. Uh, that's his game. Uh, he's got a lot of aspects that uh, I, I like to really hang my hat on when it comes to missed tackles uh, and escapability. Uh, usually that's uh, – it takes somebody that has great vision uh, but also a plan. Uh, you need to see angles from defenders. You need to know where your guys are going to be, where these blocks are going to open up, and really plan your next move around that. Uh, and he does this probably better than anybody else in this draft class. Uh, he is a stud, and I can't wait to see what him and Carter uh, really bring to the table. Because Carter is amazing. He was an amazing runner for us last year. Uh, but he also had some injury issues. Uh, and I think bringing in a guy like Hall really allows Carter to really stay healthy, maybe even keep them both healthy, uh, because we didn't have really the depth behind Carter last year to, to really spell him uh, without a good enough uh, drop-off in talent. Um, so I think the fact that we have these two really playing uh, with each other, playing off each other well, uh, they will stay healthy longer and they can only benefit. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I'm going to come right out and say it at the start of this. I will be perfectly upfront, clear, you know, apparent, no holds back, own what I say. I would not have made this move. Point blank, period. I would not have traded up for any running back. I don't care who it is. It, it could be the second coming of Adrian Peterson. I'm not doing it. There, it's just too available of, of a position. We saw so many good running backs go later in the draft than they should have. We've seen a bunch of guys go undrafted that probably had talent to be perfectly solid, including a couple of guys that we signed as undrafted free agents at running back that were probably talented enough to get drafted. So me personally, if I was in the GM chair, if I was running the team and this is what I was doing, I would have followed the strategy that the Jets already did, which was wait until the mid rounds and take a guy like a Michael Carter who had fallen further than they should have. That said, I am not in the chair. I'm not running the show. And Brees Hall is a New York Jet. And the Jets traded up two picks to get him. That is reality. That is where we are. So because of that, let's look at things the way they are. And let's look at how Brees Hall is going to fit in this system. Holy freaking crap. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I can be against trading up for a running back, and I still am. And I still don't think that this was the best use of their picks. But, oh, my goodness, is Brees Hall going to be fantastic in this scheme? This is Taylor made for him. This is ideal for his skill set. His skill set is all based around speed, agility, burst, quickness, vision, cutting on a dime, all of it. It is ideal for an outside zone-based running scheme. And you're 100% right, Matt. He is now the starter. Sorry, Michael Carter. Mm -hmm. you, you're no, you do not take a running back at 36th overall to have them be 1B in a backfield committee. Uh-uh. Brees Hall got drafted three picks higher than Jonathan Taylor. That's not happening. Brees Hall is going to get the majority of the carries. I would say 60%. And the other 40% are going to be split amongst Carter, Johnson, and Coleman. But Brees is your lead dog. 
And the Jets had said they wanted to add more speed overall to the team this weekend. And after getting Garrett Wilson and having him on the outside, you now put up Brees Hall in the backfield. We had said for so long, oh, it's going to be great. The Jets need to add another speed freak outside. They'll have their two tight ends, and they're going to have these two guys on the outside at receiver that are going to keep defenses back, and it's going to give Michael Carter easy light boxes. Now defenses have to make a choice for real because you have to stack the box against Brees Hall. You cannot give him open lanes underneath. You cannot give him a light box and give him easy cutbacks and and more space to work with. You need to eliminate as many of his opportunities and his options as possible because his running style, he's very patient. He goes to the line, he presses, he waits for a crease. And then once it opens, he explodes through it and you don't touch him. If you don't bring enough guys into the box, it's going to be a problem for you. And the second you bring those guys into the box, you got these two outside receivers that'll take the heads off whatever corner you got. This is a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for defenses to defend against. And I was thinking about this earlier today, Matt, before we recorded. For a lot of times, people are going to want to try and pigeonhole the Jets offense into what do they want to do? Do they want to be a run first team? Do they want to be an explosive downfield pass team? Do they want to be a quick game team? Do they want to be an option team or a motion team? Uh, And, you know, a screen team with the jet sweeps and all of that. Answer is yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is is the answer. They want to be able to do whatever they freaking want. They don't want to be limited. They don't want to have any limitations in their playbook because of the players on their roster. They want to be able to call any play at any moment at any time that Michael Thor can draw up. They don't want to just be a power running team. They don't want to just be a downfield passing team. They don't want to just be a team that'll confuse you with misdirection and with motions. It's all of it all at once, all the time. And it's a nightmare to defend. It's going to be an absolute nightmare to defend the, I was talking with, Uh, Again, Lamont Jordan over on Believe in the Jets, former running back himself, absolutely in love with Brees Hall. We recorded, like I said, a first round reaction on Saturday afternoon, and he was begging the Jets on that recording to go get Brees Hall. And I told him, you're crazy. It's never going to happen. No way. The Jets aren't going to do that. They wouldn't value a running back like that. Ten minutes into the draft. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, they've been trading. They've been trying all night to get back into the first round. And 10 minutes into the second round, they call up and they take Brees Hall. When I texted Lamont that the Jets traded up and took Brees Hall, his reaction was ecstatic. He couldn't believe it. He was so excited for this guy to be added to the backfield. And the fact now, again, like I said at the start of this, it's reality. Brees Hall is a Jet. Holy hell, I'm excited too. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find the weakness in this offense. Uh, and I'm having Zach. a hard time. It, yeah, it, it could be Zach. It's probably Zach, and that's also the the biggest problem too. If, if he's our our biggest problem, our, our weakest area, then that kind of affects everybody. Uh, but I'm at the. He's point got no more excuses. No zero excuses. You zero. can't blame the offensive line. You can't nope. blame the weapons. Uh, nope. There's nothing. Can't blame the run game. Nothing. Can't blame the run game. Uh, so the only thing standing in his way right now is himself. Uh, yeah, Brees is just truly an impressive specimen at running back. Um, I'm very happy we have him. And uh, I think he kind of caps off uh, really every starting position uh, for this team. Uh, I, I I thought we were ha- happy with uh, Carter. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't think he was a bell cow. 
I don't think he no. was a guy that could carry uh, the majority of the load for an entire year by himself. Um, so I can comfortably say every starting position on this offense is taken care of. Yeah, as of right now, it definitely is. And for a good a good majority of them, their depth is taken care of too. So this has been a great job by Joe Douglas retooling this offense. Like you said, it's all going to be on Zach at this point. Um, whether he succeeds is going to be 100% up to him because he has the protection, he has the playmakers, he has the coordinator, he has the run game. It's all going to be up to him to put everything mm-hmm. together. And I hope that he will. I really, really hope that he will. My gut says it'll happen. At very least, he'll be serviceable because with all these guys around him, it would be hard not to be. Yeah. All right, Matt, let's get to the third round. Uh, it was a very, very long gap between picks for the Jets after the two trade-ups that they had made. They did not make any picks between 36, uh, where they took Brees Hall, and 101st overall at the end of the third round in uh, Long Island native, Jets fan from birth, Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end from Ohio State, getting to come home to his hometown team, uh, his family, when they uh, showed the draft call of Ruckert getting drafted. Absolutely ecstatic, absolutely losing their minds. Uh, broke out a J-E-T-S chant right after the call. We love to see that. Uh, this was a pick again, not necessarily what we were expecting. We had a couple of guys on our board in particular uh, in Zach Tom, the tackle from Wake Forest and Brandon Smith, the linebacker from Penn State that we really thought would be fits to add to positions of need being tackle and uh, linebacker for depth purposes. But Jeremy Ruckert was a very, very talented player, more talented than the 101st overall selection without a doubt. And so now you have the Jets completely have retooled their their tight end room in one offseason, adding CJ Uzama, Tyler Conklin, and Jeremy Ruckert. And I think the really important thing here, and Robert Sala himself kind of alluded to it when he was talking about the Ruckert pick, is that they're going to want to run a handful of 12 personnel. And you need two tight ends to do that. They signed two tight ends in Conklin and Uzama, but Conklin is a little more of a, a vertical receiver. He's a little more of a guy that you could potentially split out and be a big slot or a guy that's going to be running as an inline as a flex guy. And he's going to be more of a downfield threat guy. You scheme up um, targets for while he's serviceable in the run game. He's not necessarily going to be labeled a great blocker or it's going to not going to be his calling card. Jeremy Ruckert can be that extra legitimate blocking tight end to pair with CJ Uzama and his size to really open up holes for Brees Hall. And he also has enough uh, versatility in the receiving game and enough potential in the receiving game, even though he wasn't asked to do it much at Ohio State. And when you look at the receivers that they have coming out of there, including one that we drafted, it makes a lot of sense why Jeremy Ruckert wasn't targeted more. But he's got potential to grow in that area. I could. I think this was just best player available on their board. They probably had Ruckert rated probably between 50 and 70, and 101, that's really hard to pass up. It really isn't. Uh, it, it really is hard to pass that up. Uh, it's funny. I'm out on Long Island right now. I was here for the draft as well. Uh, and I, I could have sworn I, I started hearing cheers uh, from outside <laughs> when, when that pick came in. Um, yeah, I, I think it's very special for to have a, a, a kid grow up as a as a fan of the team that you end up going to. Uh, I think that's something that he's probably been dreaming of for his entire life. Can only uh, imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. It's it's something special. And when you look at what we've done this offseason at tight end, um, we brought in two very good guys. Uh, so it seems like LaFleur really wants to uh, 
use the tight ends more. Uh, and it's something that he probably wanted to do last year, but he just couldn't do it because we didn't have the talent there. Uh, and now that he does, I think he wants it to be sustainable. Uh, yep. If one of our uh, top two guys goes down, who's stepping in? So we really needed that depth. Uh, we we really filled every starting need uh, prior to this pick. So at this point, it's all about depth. And behind our two starting uh, or our two top tight ends, there was really a, a void of, of talent. Um, uh, so hope in Kenny Yaboa, and that's it. That's that's about it. It's a, a prayer and a skittle. That's that's what we had behind them. So Rucker uh, really. That's offered, how we got your main too. A prayer and a skittle. A prayer and a skittle. <laughs> Those skittles go a long way. Uh, uh, Marshawn yeah, was Rucker, right every time. Every time anyone questions Marshawn Lynch, they're wrong. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Rucker, uh, a, a true two-way tight end. Um, I I really wish. We got to see him more as a receiver at Ohio State. So we're not really just relying on projection. Uh, but at the same time, the little that we did see, there's most definitely flashes there of what he can be. And you have to understand the offense that he came from uh, yep. with Alave, uh, with Wilson, uh, with William. Jackson, uh, Smith, and Jigba. The kind of receivers that he had around him to really kind of take the spotlight off of him uh, really shows that he's probably capable of a lot more. Uh, and it sounds like he's going to get that chance, especially with the, uh, with our offense. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you had mentioned Michael floor wanting to have guys in to call plays for, and I definitely think there's something to that, but I also think at least for this offense in particular, even when the tight ends aren't necessarily the focal point of the play, they are the linchpins keeping everything else together mm -hmm. where you need to have those two capable tight ends blocking wise for your 12 personnel sets. You have to have them be capable receivers so that they don't have to be taken off the field and you don't have to sub somebody in when you're running play action that gives a tell to the defense. And it, you really have to have those guys on the field at all times. And if you don't have the depth behind it to make it happen, you're going to have to change your play calling. It's why we saw the Jets run so much 11 personnel last year, because they really didn't have the tight ends to run 12. And now that they do, I think you're going to see a completely different offense. You're going to see a more balanced offense. You're going to see a more explosive offense. You're going to see a more unpredictable offense. And you're going to have a guy in Ruckert that can come in as another body when our two guys at the top need a break or need a breather. And he's capable of filling either role for them. That's the, uh, again, most important thing is that there's never a tell to the defense is that you have three guys at tight end who can block and catch at any given moment. And you also got all the weapons outside and all the speed freaks at your skill positions that make it hard to keep up with. I, I love it. I couldn't be, I, I have nothing to be upset about with this pick. Again, it may not have been exactly what I would have done, but this wasn't a reach. This was a player they got great value on it's a position that's important to the offense he's going to see the field and on top of that you have a guy that can groom in the wings if and when tyler conklin or cj uzama walk after their short contracts i think it's a great pick i do as well uh and yeah it, i think depth is very important it's probably one of the most important things to a team that wants to become a perennial playoff team you need that depth because people will get hurt uh, yep. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when and who. Uh, so that depth is essential to long-term longevity 
uh, of a team's uh, hopes at in the playoffs. Uh, and that really leads to our next guy because when you look 100%. at when we look at depth, I think our weakest position uh, depth wise is along the offensive line. Uh, so it was I'm very happy that they addressed uh, offensive line. Uh, it's probably not the guy I would have gone with. Uh, but what do you think of Max Mitchell? I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. I watched two games of Max Mitchell last night after he got drafted, and I really, really liked him a lot more than I expected to. And I was texting with some other people um, that I talked to. Shout out to uh, Daniel uh, Damian Parson uh, on Twitter for the Draft Network, who I was chatting him up with. And they he really likes um, Mitchell as well. And the thing that with Mitchell that I really wasn't expecting is that he was significantly quicker than his testing would indicate on tape. Oh, yeah. I really thought he was going to be struggling to move because if you look at his, his testing numbers overall, speed, agility, explosion, all of it, they are incredibly bad. Like we're not talking like, oh, he could have done better. We're talking he is at best seventh percentile in all of those metrics. So we're looking at a by the numbers down the board athlete. But just like with Jamie and Sherwood last year, you turn on the tape and it certainly doesn't look like it. You mm-hmm. turn on the tape and it does not match that testing numbers at all. I don't think he's the most amazing fleet of foot agile guy in the world for 367, uh, but it wasn't bad by any means. And most importantly, he was awesome. And I mean, absolutely awesome in pass protection. He was a freaking stonewall for the defensive ends that were trying to go up against him. I watched him against Texas, and I believe I watched and I watched him against Appalachian State. And for those that don't know or haven't listened to this podcast before, Appalachian State had a defensive tackle slash defensive end that eventually went undrafted to the Lions. That I thought was way better than an undrafted player, and thought deserved to be a draft pick. That being Demetrius Taylor. So I watched him go up against Demetrius Taylor, and I watched him go up against Texas, being a Big Twelve team. When you're coming from Louisiana Lafayette, that's pretty much the best you're going to get. So I tried to watch him against the best competition that I could. No problem. No problem whatsoever. Uh, he has such quick feet and pass pro. His hands are, are, I could gush all day about his hand use. His, they, are, they work independently. And this is the thing when people say independent hands. You want to be able to use independent hands because pass rushers have two hands. And so if you throw a strike with both of your hands at the same time and that pass rusher can chop them down both at once, you have no recovery. You have no other option to grip or stop or grab or get in the way as a tackle. So you need to use your hands independent of each other and strike one at a time uh, in varying placements to keep yourself in in phase with the play. Max Mitchell is fantastic at that. His timing is awesome. And most importantly, if his first punch misses, he resets immediately. He just Mm -hmm. his it's he's got wax on wax off hands like it's Mr. Miyagi stuff full blown Uh, combine that with his quickness and his agility and his ability to slide and mirror. I was really impressed with it. He was solid as a run blocker. I wouldn't say he was amazing at it, but not bad, not unserviceable, really solid down blocker as well. Um, Only issue is he's a little unbalanced. And I don't think he'll ever be the most balanced guy in the world, but I think he's got enough core strength. He's got enough quickness. And, And the thing that impressed me the most, honestly, and against Texas in particular, there were times where in the second half, literally in the drive, let alone in the same drive on back to back to back to back plays, he was flipping between left tackle and right tackle. 
So it would literally be like first down, he's playing left tackle. Second down, he's playing right tackle. They pick up a first down on second down. It's first down again. He's back to left tackle. They go to a run. Second down, he's back to right tackle. Now it's third down. He's back to left tackle. (laughs) It was like seven straight plays of it. I have no idea why. I I, I can't tell you if there was an injury or or whatever the reasoning was for the Ragin' Cajuns coaching staff to do this, but he did it and he didn't skip a beat. He, in the middle of the drive, was flipping back and forth between sides at tackle and pass protection and in the run game and was perfectly and totally fine. That speaks a lot. He's going to be the backup for either tackle position out of the gate. I think Chuma Adoga's days on this roster are numbered. Um, and Max Mitchell is a backup as a swing tackle, and I mean that in the sense of a true swing tackle that can play either side. I, I think you can do a hell of a lot worse. You know who else uh is uh had to deal with that uh switching of positions mid game uh for an entire season Beckton. uh yep. he had to do that uh his sophomore and freshman year i believe where he had to switch sides uh another guy that did was worse uh so he's in good company there mm-hmm. uh and yeah the the fact that he can play left or right side uh is pretty pretty invaluable because we need that swing tackle back up uh, he solves both at once. He solves it, both it really both. is. It really is a situation where you can only have one guy be a backup at one time and you can't have a guy playing two positions at once. But in a vacuum, you're sitting here going, if our left tackle gets hurt, we need someone to replace him. If our right tackle gets hurt, we need someone to replace him. You can fix both of those spots with one guy. And they did that with Max Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at my notes right now and my biggest complaint for him uh, was that he can sometimes get a little too far over his toes uh with his his weight and that can lead to loss of leverage and you you saw it at the senior bowl too uh against jermaine johnson actually uh where jermaine would get him lunging and he just went right around him uh and so that's something that definitely needs to be uh uh uh, taught up a little bit but uh, at the same time if that's the the biggest problem i think that's very teachable uh, everything else, I, I, I really enjoyed his explosiveness out of his stance. Uh, he really yeah, just... he did fine in the run game as a zone blocker, getting yeah. up in front of defensive ends and reach blocking. He was solid doing that. Um, he had some really nice blocks where um, he's doing a kick out block in a zone where it's different than a reach block where the reach block you're trying to get in front of the defensive end and turn and create that gap um, with your back to the outside of the play where in a kick out block, you're trying to just basically turn the defensive end to the backside of the play and push him out of the gap and create the lane for the running back to go behind you to the inside. He had a really nice kick out block against Texas that sprung a touchdown. So I, that was my worry when I first saw him, he was the pick and I saw his testing numbers. I said, how is this guy going to fit in our scheme? Well, he did it just fine on tape. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I like it a lot. Uh, I remember the first thing I thought after watching the first or second game of his was that this guy would be perfect for, for our offense. Uh, and yeah. now he will be in our offense. Uh, yeah. And I I think that if Fant uh, eventually does get extended, that's great. Uh, but if he doesn't, maybe he wants more money than than uh, than JD's willing to offer him. I think this year is invaluable for Max Mitchell to really just learn the offense and get used to everything. Yep. Uh, and with Beckton's health, you never know. He might be called in to, to be a starter uh, sooner rather than later. So I think at worst, we've got great depth now. 
uh, at best, maybe we have a future starter. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, and this is an important point to make, not only about Max Mitchell, but about the last guy we're going to talk about, who was also a fourth round pick. These guys, these last two picks, they were high fourth round picks. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They weren't down the board. These weren't guys that were. These were very close to the top 100. These guys can be expected to make an impact. This is not a normal. You know, you drafted a guy in the end of the sixth round, and you like his tape, and you think he could potentially develop, and then he never even sniffs the starting roster. These guys have talent. These guys are could be contributors, not only in the future, but potentially even sooner. If the Jets were to want to go into any uh, three tackle sets and any run heavy sets and put a sixth offensive lineman in the game, well, Connor McDermott's going to have some competition now. Mm-hmm, He's going to yeah. have some competition as somebody else that could come in. Um, Michael Clemens, the last draft pick they had from Texas A&M, the defensive end, he's going to be spelling JFM. He's going to be when the Jets need both of their starters, the defensive end needing a break, beating uh, JFM and Carl Lawson. You're going to have Jermaine Johnson sub in for Carl Lawson. You're going to have uh, Michael Clemens sub in for JFM. These guys are going to be parts of this team. These guys are not just mid-round picks that might have a future. I think you can put the expectations a little higher for these guys. I think you can expect a little more out of them overall. Mitchell in particular, his pass pro skills are a hell of a lot better than the 111th pick. There's If Trevor Penning can go in the first round, and I get Trevor Penning's an athlete and the Saints have a great offensive line staff and they think they can coach him up, but if Trevor Penning and his skills can go in the first round, Max Mitchell should have went top 75. It's funny you mentioned Penning because Mitchell uh, is kind of the anti-Penning. He is. He That's exactly what he is. zero penalties last year. Uh, as opposed to, I think, penning 16, uh, yep. which is insane. Uh, and that alone is is a hidden tool, a hidden uh, positive. That, it's a skill. Uh, yeah, it's a skill to to not have to hold. To play the game without getting penalized. It's a skill. Or, to, or if you're going to hold, to be crafty about it so it doesn't get called. That's a yeah, skill. It is a skill. It, and I can't tell you how many times in the past I – would be annoyed uh, by guys like Winters uh, or who else? A- any other guy, guy you can mention that it's just a Calvin Beecham. Calvin Beecham, uh, like the, the walking false start. Uh, yeah, it's it's the it's a drive killer. It's a morale killer. Uh, so to have somebody that's reliable in that aspect is just a, a another benefit that many people probably weren't looking at. Yeah. Absolutely. I 100% agree. As is the case with every single one of these draft picks, when I turned on the tape, I know why the Jets drafted them and I understand it completely and it makes yeah. sense. So at that, uh, you can't really ask for anything more than that. Let's wrap this up. That's going to lead us to the last pick, like I alluded to before. Michael Clemens, the defensive end from Texas AM. Another guy like Max Mitchell, who I hadn't seen any tape of before the Jets drafted them, but oh my goodness, did they blow me away once I turned the film on again. Michael Clemens gets the official Jamie and Sherwood award. I had mentioned Sherwood last year uh, of a guy looking at the measurables going, who is this? And I turn the tape on and I get all surprised. Jamie and Sherwood was that player for me last year that I fell in love with after watching tape. And I didn't see them before the process. Michael Clemens is that for me this year. And it's not even a competition. This guy has some serious, serious, serious pass rush potential to be. I'm not, could be Carl Lawson's heir apparent. Carl Lawson did not sign the longest term deal. One of that of his one of his three years on his contract was taken away due to injury. Carl Lawson's got two years left on his deal. If things don't perform, this could potentially be his one and only true season in New York. 
that is a nightmare scenario that I don't want to think about. I would want to hope that Carl Lawson comes back from his injury as we're expecting plays great, continues to be a jet for years after that. And the jets can stockpile all of this pass rush talent, but in a disaster scenario, Michael Clemens will be a future starter at defensive end. And he is going to be a really, really good one. He's a little bit older. There's some off field issues in his past from a couple of years ago that created some issues. Um, But looking at him on the field, looking at the fact that he was a late bloomer as a player, he didn't start playing football until he was a sophomore in high school. Has only played, uh, I think, two years at A&M in serious roles. Just this past year was really his last full role, getting starting reps. And he led the SEC in pressures per snap this year. You know who else is in the SEC? Will Anderson at Alabama, who's probably going to be the first overall pick as a pass rusher in 2023. Michael Clemens beat him in pressures per snap. He had seven and a half sacks on the season. Three and a half of those came against LSU in a game where he absolutely dominated everybody that tried to block it. Three and a half sacks in the game. It should have been like six. There was a couple of them that were at sacks because the quarterback is getting thrown to the ground. And right before he gets thrown to the ground, he throws the ball away or Clemens is coming around the edge and he gets an arm on and a running back in pass protection knocks just enough of him out of the way for the quarterback to break the sack and make a miraculous run up the corner and gain five yards. But there was rep after rep after rep of this guy just whipping tackles. And when you look at his measurables, it's easy to see why. Six foot five, 263 pounds, 34 and seven eighth inch arms, almost 35 inch arms. Puts him in like the close to 90th percentile for defensive ends for length. Um, not many guys enter the league with that amount of light. He's got some serious strength. He had 24 reps on the bench is solid explosion, uh, is not the most devastating first step in the world, but it's good. He's got really solid ankle bend to flatten and turn the corner. And this dude is so freaking strong when he gets behind his pads, when he gets low and he tries to bull rush guys get absolutely just molly They get knocked out of the way. Yeah. They get completely and totally just dusted. I was a couple of reps I watched of him against Alabama, where first he beats Alabama's right tackle with a rip move uh, for a sack off the edge on third down later in the game. Absolutely gorgeous. Just teaching tape. Couldn't ask for anything better. And then earlier in the game, he's going up against Evan Neal, who was the seventh overall pick in the draft, and he's walking him back into the quarterback in Bryce Young, forcing another guy to get a sack because Bryce Young had nowhere to go. Seventh pick in the draft. Next tape I turn on is Mississippi State. You know who's at Mississippi State, Matt? Charles Cross, who was just the ninth overall pick in the draft. Oh, and there he is again, dusting Charles Cross on a spin move Spin move later in the game. Sets him up outside shoulder, gives him a little pressure, turns Charles Cross a little bit, gives him a back, spin back to the inside. Should have been a sack, but it was a missed holding call. In the run game, he had one bad rep against Charles Cross in the run game. One. Every other time, it was a stalemate, at least. I watched three total games of this guy two of which were against two future top 10 tackles. I came away going, he more than held his own. The Jets got him at 117th overall, and I don't even think he really knows what he's doing yet. Hmm. This dude is a freaking player. Like I said with Jermaine Johnson, I can't wait to watch what Robert Sala does with Jermaine Johnson. I can't wait to watch what Robert Sala does with Michael Clemens. The number one thing I want Robert Sala to do is to teach him to bull rush with one arm. He's a little bit of a little too reliant on his two-hand bull. And for people that don't know, every D-line coach in the world 
preaches a principle called one arm is longer than two. And what that means is for anyone sitting at home, go ahead and stick both your arms out straight in the air at the same time. You're going to see that they go out to a certain length and they're even with each other as far as your length of your arms will let you with your shoulders. Now, try and pull one arm back and reach your other arm out as far as you can. You're going to see that that one arm is going to go longer and extend further because you're turning your shoulders and giving yourself some extra inches of length. If Michael Clemens can learn to rush with one arm with his already dang near 35-inch arm length to start with, no one's getting in his chest ever. No one's getting a hand on him ever because he's going to be able to give a one-arm stab and walk people back to the quarterback or flash that one-arm stab, force people to anchor, stop their feet in their tracks, and dip around it. Or, worst-case scenario, give the one-arm stab, push inside, open the gate a little bit, and spin back out of it. He could potentially completely change his trajectory as a pass rusher by altering one move. All he has to do is start bull rushing with one arm instead of two. And I think you're going to see his production skyrocket. I am in love with this dude. I could go on all night. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everything about him is impressive from his physique uh, to his ability to bend at his size Very uh, impressive. And, and his ability to flatten out towards the quarterback. Uh, I, I admit I didn't watch much of him before the draft. Uh, but as soon as we we drafted him, that was, that's a, I turned him on and it was impressed from the get go. Uh, I watched the LSU game first, uh, and I was like, "Oh my god, he is absolutely demoralizing this left." He looked tackle. like a first round pick in that game. He yeah. looks like he looks. He's Emmanuel Ogba two Like it's so it screamed off the tape to me. He is the second coming of Emmanuel Ogba. It's 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 very impressive all around. I, I remember asking you and David, like, "Who the hell is this left tackle? Who's this?" This this schmo that 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 uh, Clemens is just d- d- destroying. Hit him with it. And Hit then, him with it. And then David's just like, oh, that's a uh, uh, Garrett Dollinger, who's uh, a freshman, but only gave up three sacks the entire year, and they were to Clemens in that three, game. Three sacks and seven pressures uh, all season, and three and three sacks and four pressures came against Michael Clemens. So that's extremely in, uh, a crazy stat right there on its own. Uh, uh, his capabilities and what he's already able to do are impressive. Uh, if he can, like you say, just learn a few more things, uh, add some more tools to that to that pass rush uh, toolbox, uh, he can be uh, a true stud uh, along the me- along with the many other studs that we have at, at oh, yeah. right now. Um, he is a little older. He, he will be 25, uh, I believe. Uh, in, in I think he's 24 now. Yeah, I think he's 24 and a half now. Uh, so he doesn't have a lot of time to learn uh, what to do, what he's doing. So uh, this coaching staff has their work cut out for him. Get him to where he needs. I to don't be. think he has to learn that much. I'm going to be completely much, honest but... with you. I think he's already shown some some developed pass rush moves. He's a really good chop move. Uh, he's a good rip move. Like I said earlier, we've seen him um, flash some inside spins uh, when he's his outside speed doesn't work. He needs to develop counters. That was my one thing with him is that he's very much a first move rusher and that if his first move doesn't work, it's really hard for him to kind of work off of that. And he just needs to start bull rushing with one arm because I don't think, cause I think he can develop the counters off that one arm stab. Yeah. I think once he gets that one arm stab down, it's going to be so goddamn effective that it's going to scare so many people. He's going to easily be able to develop counters off of it. And I think that's the first thing Robert Sala is going to tell him. 
as he's going to get him into, into rookie minicamp and he's going to say, look, from now on, you are never using a two-hand bull ever again <laughs> unless you see the guy off balance from the snap. Unless you can tell that you can just completely and totally just bowl this guy over with your strength like he did against LSU's left tackle on a mm-hmm. stutter bowl. Unless you can just outright do that and you see the guy is off balance from the jump, you're never bull rushing with two arms again. I want you rushing with one arm every single time. I guarantee you it's going to make an impact. I yeah. guarantee you it's going to make a huge, huge impact for him. The frame is there. The athleticism is there. The natural ability is there. The tenaciousness is there. And like Jermaine Johnson, he didn't always get as many opportunities to rush. And when he did, he was really damn effective. I'm. This might be, outside of the JJ pick, my favorite pick in the draft. Uh, I remember you saying uh, that when teams were facing Texas A&M, the guy that they were double. Thank you for reminding and, me. And, yeah. and chipping wasn't Leal. Alabama. It, it, was, it, was it wasn't teams. It was Alabama. When yeah. Alabama was playing Texas A&M this year, it took Nick Saban one quarter to realize who he had to worry about on Texas A&M's defensive line. And it sure as hell wasn't DeMarvin Leal. Mm-mm. It was Michael Clemens. Michael Clemens was getting the chip help. Michael Clemens was getting the one double team when it was a four-man rush and they'd have an extra offensive lineman. Michael Clemens was the one getting doubled with the with the guard. Michael Clemens was the one getting the chip from Brian Robinson out of the backfield. They left to Marvin Leal one-on-one with both of their tackles, regardless of who it was. Said, we and don't you know care. What? Even with all that extra attention, he still walked away with that game with four hurries, two quarterback hits, and a sack. So that extra attention, it didn't stop him. They they lost. He gave up. He got a couple of pressures early in the game. And then from then on out, they were like, okay, we're giving you attention. You're the guy we have to worry about. You're the guy with juice. We're sliding our protection that way. They stopped one time in the fourth quarter in the red zone, and it led to his sack. They left him one-on-one with the right tackle for the first time in like two and a half quarters, and it was an immediate sack. Yeah. And really, we can't have enough death depth on uh, our edge not at all uh, because even last year we lost Lawson then we lost Curry uh, and then we lost yep. Huff for a good amount of time mm-hmm. so we were down to the the depths of our edge depth Hamilton uh, Rashad started a game for us last year yeah who I believe they wanted was an, to was a to U, was more. a rookie UDFA and one yeah. a guy they wanted to make a, a an off ball linebacker rush yeah. hybrid yeah so the fact that they had to rely on him uh, it shows you how valuable it is to have that depth, and our pass rush is our lifeblood uh, on yeah. defense. Without that, I don't think they can do what they want to do. Uh, so having guys like JJ, like Franklin Myers, uh, and like Clemens and Huff, uh, you need these guys to keep everybody else uh fresh. And yep. I plan on seeing Clemens a lot. Um, I think you got Lawson, who's probably going to see about 60% of snaps. Uh, and then you're going to have uh, Franklin Myers. He'll be uh, outside on on early downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're going to have probably Clemens and, and JJ uh, battling it out for uh, for who's the, the our, our primary pass rusher. Uh, I think, on- quite honestly, I think Clemens is, is a lot more in due for JFM's role, maybe not so much as an interior player or -hmm. an interior rusher, but in terms of a base down defensive end, when JFM is playing defensive end on base downs, his backup is not going to be Jermaine. It's going to be Michael Clemens. 
because Michael Clemens is a little bit bigger. He's a little bit longer. Um, JJ is a great run defender and he's strong as hell, not to disparage anything against him, but you really want him in the weak side positions where he's going to be able to pin his ears back and go. That's really why you, you want him. If Carl Lawson and JFM are both not on the field, I want JJ in the Lawson role and I want Clemens in the JFM role. If it's an early down. Absolutely. Uh, and now we have the depth to actually do that because 100%. before you, you're, you're not doing that with Huff. Uh, no. You aren't doing that with uh, the other Lawson. Uh, you, you, you really need this infusion of talent at the position. Uh, I just kind of wish that we had this much depth on the interior, but that's another story. Yeah. Can't win them all. Uh, we tried. And every mock draft we did, we definitely tried. But overall, I love this class. I think the Jets added seven players that I am confident are going to be at the very least solid in the roles they were envisioned for. If Michael Clemens and Max Mitchell never become anything more than reserve players, they're going to be really good reserve players. Brees Hall has potential to be one of the best running backs in the NFL. Sauce Gardner could be the best corner in the NFL. Garrett Wilson could be a perennial thousand yard receiver. Jermaine Johnson could be Khalil Mack. This is an A plus. I, and the more I've thought about it, the more I've I, I've really gone over these players and I've looked at all of them. I'm not worried about any of them busting. And I can't remember the last time I said that about a, a Jets draft class where top to bottom, every single player's tape, I've been like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a great rep. That's a great rep. Holy crap. Are you kidding me? That's what this guy's doing. We got him where at what pick what? I, I don't have any complaints because all of these players are just great players. And when you draft seven great players, four of which have potential to be Pro Bowl caliber and are certainly on the path to doing so, I don't know what you, more you could ask. So this is this is an A from me overall. I, I can't, I couldn't be happier with this draft class. Like we said earlier at the top, I think this is the draft class that takes the Jets to the next step. Everyone will say it was 2021 when you get the quarterback and, and that was Zach Wilson and Barrett Tucker. And that was the, the foundation that started it all. 2022 is going to be the draft that puts the Jets in the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, I'd be thrilled if even one draft class pre- pre- presented a guy that with uh, all pro potential. Uh, but the four. fact, but if, yeah, if they get four, uh, yeah, this is the draft class that really puts the league on notice uh when you can garner this much talent in one place uh in one round even that's it's truly impressive um every single one of these guys is a really high ceiling uh and high floor also exactly so yeah like you said the bus potential is very low uh for all these guys um I'd love to see how they mesh with the talent that we already have uh, and how they even continue to improve. The sky's the limit. I'm so excited for this season. It's it, now we're, we kind of enter like a dead zone. I know. Now we just get to gush over these players now what? and wish that we could watch them play and we, we can't. So it's, it's kind of a tease. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just extremely excited. Yeah, I don't know how any Jets fan could be upset with what they did over this past weekend. Um, I mean, we had said for months before the draft with the draft uh, capital that they had had, they had four picks in the top 40 and they had an opportunity with those four picks to add four impact players to their roster. After that, we were just we'll see what happens. We'll attack depth. We'll go from there. It's the middle of the draft. Well, I'd say they added four impact players to their roster 
in Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, and Brees Hall. That is, for a lot of people in the NFL media, that is the best corner in the draft, the best receiver in the draft, the best running back in the draft, and at worst, the third best pass rusher. I don't forget what Rucker, do you want? because some people had and him as the top and tight some end. Some people had Ruckert as the number one tight end, if not within the top three. So, you know, however you, you valued the tight ends or the flavors there, but Ruckert was definitely towards the top of the class in that aspect as well. This is, there's, what did we say for so long, Matt? This team needs talent. This team needs, needs serious elite talent that it was, we had some depth, we had some good players, but we're lacking stars. They got serious, serious star potential out of this draft class. Absolutely. Oh, man. I, I really can't wait. I'm, I'm just want to watch highlights all night just to give me some taste of what we're going to be getting. Oh, I and, know. And it's not going to be enough. Uh, I remember you, you were saying, like, I, I can't imagine any Jet fan being upset. I remember after the first pick, there I saw one guy who was like, I'm done with this team because they didn't draft Thibodeau. And then he was back by the end of the first round. He was he was a fan. Mm-hmm. Again. I'm uh, not going to pretend like I wasn't sitting there slightly upset after the tenth pick at first because I really thought they needed a defensive end, and I obviously adored Jermaine Johnson to, mm-hmm. with every cell in my body. So I, I was I was sitting there being like, okay, you know, like Garrett Wilson's cool, but you could have had Sauce and Jermaine and taken a receiver in round two, or you could have taken Jermaine and Garrett Wilson, and you could have had a corner, you know, somewhere else. And then they traded up for Jermaine. And I think that is kind of just the the cherry on top of everything that made everything else they did for the rest of the weekend. Okay. And not that it was bad because it was all great. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like I said to you guys after the first round, I said they traded up for Jermaine and they got sauce and they got Garrett Wilson. I don't care what happens the rest of the night. I don't care what happens the rest of the weekend. (laughs) We're done. Pack it up like Jermaine at the senior bowl. We don't need to do anything else. Let's just go on home. And then they rounded out their class with a bunch more impact players and guys that are going to have a defined role. What more could you want? I'll say it again not really anything yeah they could have just walked away with those three players and been done (laughs) yeah it would have been fine with me (laughs) would have been fine uh i wonder what how we would have thought if they didn't get jj at 26 though would we still be giving this no class the same praise no we wouldn't no if we didn't get jj at 26 and then we traded up to 36 for a running back or potentially traded up into the first round for a running back because we didn't make the jj trade it would be a heck of a lot different outlook Absolutely. Then we would have started thinking like, oh, well, now we got to get Ebikitti in the second and, round. And we or, can't because we yeah. traded up for for Brees Hall, and so Ebikitti's yeah. going to be gone before thirty eight, and which he was. He was picked at thirty seven. Um, so yeah, it, it, it would have been a completely different draft. But luckily, we don't need to care about that. <laughs> yeah, we happened. get to live. We get to live in fantasy, Matt. It's awesome. We do, and it's a spectacular thing. Uh, can't say enough good things. No, not at all. Normally, the Jets, us Jets fans live in fantasy for a bunch of different reasons, but this time we get to live in fantasy because dreams really came true, and the Jets somehow got Jermaine Johnson 26th overall on top of Ahmad Gardner and on top of Garrett Wilson. Could not ask for anything more than that in the first round. To follow it up with what they did on day two and day three is just icing on the cake. I love this class. I know you love this class. I'm sure most of our listeners love this class as well. And like you said, it's going to be a long few months waiting to watch these guys on the field. But I'm excited. I know you're excited. We are going to be back next week to break down some of the biggest UDFA signings. There are a handful of guys in that group that we both really like. Spoiler, Zonovan Knight's a dude. Can't wait to talk about him. Uh, So be on the lookout for that real soon. Until then, Matt, let's go ahead and drop our handles. Call this one an episode. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. 
And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. And make sure you guys are also following at OKD podcast as well. Thank you again so much for listening. This has been the Oklahoma Drill Podcast, and we will be back really soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.